over 95% of the samples were tested positive for glyphosate, and many of them had very high levels of glyphosate. And so you need to be aware that if you're not buying organic, certified organic, you're buying glyphosate, and it's poisoning you. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len and this podcast, for those of you who've listened, you know it's all about empowering you, the parent, to better navigate the journey to support your child on the autism spectrum. And a really incredibly important way that we do that is to create a more healthful environment around our child and around our entire family. So today's episode is devoted to that and then specifically devoted to understanding a toxin that is so much more harmful and prevalent than you might think. So I'm honored that today's guest is perhaps the foremost authority on this topic, and just so thrilled to welcome Dr. Stephanie Seneff. She's a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and she has a BS degree from MIT in biology, and MSE and PhD degrees from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide glyphosate and the mineral sulfur. So since 2008, she has authored over three dozen peer-reviewed journal papers on these topics, and she is the author of a book on glyphosate titled Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. And it's over my right shoulder right behind me. <laughs> uh, and it was released uh, last year. So without exaggeration, it is a must read. And the secret this week is glyphosate is a slow kill. And I know that's a very provocative title. Let's dive in to better explain, and I'm just so super excited to welcome Stephanie to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Well, my wife, Cass, couldn't be here, but this is a topic that we both are so passionate about in terms of trying to get the message out. And again, this is something that more than anyone we've ever come in contact with, uh, this is an area of specialty for you. If you and I know you present many times at conferences, particularly autism conferences. And if you're just imagining the people who show up at those conferences, perhaps for the first time, they've recently received a diagnosis. What would you say in an elevator to that parent about why glyphosate is something that at least to get educated on matters so much? Yeah, that's a great question. And of course, it has to, it takes a little bit of a long answer. But the problem with glyphosate, it's the active ingredient in Roundup. And most people have heard of Roundup, probably even use it to control the weeds in their walkway, for example. Very popular herbicide. Um, 
uh, considered by the government to be extremely safe for humans. This is the key issue with, with Roundup, um, that the regulatory process was not done well. And the government has become convinced, um, and the people have become convinced too as a consequence. I think just random people think, oh, this stuff is safe. And they see everybody using it casually. And so they just assume it's very hard to wrap your brain around the idea that it's not safe. And, um, and then what I didn't realize until I started looking is that it's all over the food supply. And this is because of these, uh, it was really around the late 1990s that they introduced these GMO Roundup Ready crops. You know, you've heard about GMOs and people say, oh, no, non-GMO, that's a good product. Let me buy it. That's not true. Non-GMO products can have the highest levels of glyphosate in them. Wheat and oats and garbanzo beans, chickpeas, hummus, um, they're all um, sprayed with, routinely sprayed with glyphosate right before harvest in order to kill the crop. So they do die in response to, to glyphosate, but that's the point. At that point in the, in the farming, they want to, they find it's very beneficial to sort of synchronize the, the, um, the, the production of seeds so you increase the yield. You make it easy, easier to clear the crop because it dies quickly after, after you harvest it. And so um, the farmers see it as a good thing as long as you assume that glyphosate is perfectly safe. And so uh, Zen Hunnicutt is a friend of mine. You may know, you, you interviewed Zen, right? Sure. Um, great woman. I really love her. And she's um, she's got, she's founded this organization called Moms Across America. And one of her big missions is glyphosate, to, glyphosate awareness, trying to get people aware. This stuff is toxic and it's all over the food supply. And so she actually has just recently had people uh, collect uh Mothers collect uh, school lunches from the public school system and send them off to a lab for extensive testing. And, um, and she found all kinds of problems with the foods, you know, various uh, toxic chemical uh, contaminations and whatnot. But the strongest and the biggest one, the big out red light was glyphosate. Over 95% of the samples were tested positive for glyphosate. And many of them had very high levels of glyphosate. Um, and so... You need to be aware that if you're not buying organic, certified organic, you're buying glyphosate and it's poisoning you. And, and so my book you know, goes into extensive detail about exactly how glyphosate poisons you. And I have to give you a little bit of my history because I was, uh, I've been aware of autism for a very long time. I think when I was a teenager, I saw a show on TV. It was a very mysterious disease and they had these lovely young boys who seemed so perfect, except that they couldn't, they were completely locked in their own, you know, world. And they, and this, and the message at that time was refrigerator mom, you know, the mom who's so yep. cold that the child doesn't. And I thought that's not right. That's just, this child has some kind of toxic, you know, exposure that's causing it to be so sick. I, I really felt it's, that's not right. It's not that the mom, you know, that can't be enough to make a child be like right. that. That was my sense. And, um, and, 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 then, and just to, and just to clarify that, just in case somebody's not even aware of that term, in terms of what causes autism, not that long ago, let's just say a couple decades ago, the theory was that the mom being like a cold personality, that that is what caused the autism, that that was really like the best guess that people had. And it was really out there and, and widely accepted. It's incredible, isn't it? It's incredible to think that now. And I know now we don't, we know that's not true, but we still kind of say, oh, it's a genetic disease. You know, it's just your genes. And, and even though the rates keep going up every year, they, they always manage to excuse that as being more diagnosis. And, and that also really, really frustrates me. And then it went up again this year. It's not news anymore. You know, oh, yes, of course, the autism rates always go up. No problem. <laughs> you know, at some point, it's going to be a problem because the school systems are really struggling to try to deal with all these 
disabled children. And so I think it's a, it's going to be, um, it's going to get really bad if it keeps up the way it has, you know, it's hard to imagine uh, the point when so many kids have autism, that it becomes an overwhelming task of the school system just to deal with those autistic kids. Yeah. Um, it would, it would be a separate conversation altogether to, to debate that point that you just made, you know, where people still do say, yes, is it really much more prevalent or are we just better at diagnosing it? But all you have to do is ask any school nurse who's been there for decades, are things different now uh, than they used to be? And it's it's incredibly, like it, it's, you cannot just chalk it up to, hey, we have better diagnosis. These kids right. are much sicker, much different, autism only being one of many manifestations. Yes. Um, and and no, it's, it's, it's an incredibly um, uh, different environment now and getting worse exponentially. Right. And that's the really sad thing that we're not, the government is not responding. That's what really annoys me. They're just pretending that we don't have a problem, which is shocking, you know, because really it's a much bigger problem really than COVID-19, in my opinion. The concept of, of um, the numbers are staggering right now, you know, coming up with numbers like one in 38, you know, New Jersey, one in 38. I mean, it's yeah. really, really high numbers. When you think of the number of children there are in the country and what, how many of them, it's just daunting to think about that. So I'm very, very concerned. And I think we need to really um, take immediate action to fix the problem. The government needs to do it. And the government, of course, is not responding at all. They insist that it's a safe product. It's not a problem. We don't need to test it. You know, they don't test it in the food, even though we know it's all over the food. And they admit it's all over the food supply, but they say, well, it's harmless. So who cares? So this is just a mental block against the concept that it might not be harmless. And the thing about glyphosate, as you saw, as you said, is a slow kill. It's a slow kill. It doesn't immediately bowl you over. So when you get poisoned with glyphosate, you don't necessarily start throwing up or something like that. It just goes into your body and it gets into all your tissues and it causes damage wherever it goes. Right. And this is the insidious cumulative process that it causes to slowly erode your, your health over time. But but it but it is a it's 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 a we're talking about one chemical right one anti, actually an antibiotic, and you can make that same statement about any pesticides or chemicals that are in food that we know we shouldn't really eat, and it, you know it does damage little by little. But yes. in this case, glyphosate is not one of many chemicals, and hey, you should watch out for this one. Like in terms of how much damage and how insidious it is. I'll let you explain how does it compare to your run-of-the-mill chemical or pesticide? It's a very different situation, correct? Right. And the, the thing is that it's everywhere. It's, it's all over the food supply. It's in the air. You know, if you if you live in an agricultural area, you're breathing it in. Or even I suspect if you live in a city, uh, I believe it's in the air as a consequence of the cars that are burning biofuels. So for example, bioethanol probably contains glyphosate. Probably it gets released, you know, at the gas station, for example goes into the air you breathe it in so uh you know because, it's because the, the corn because the corn it, it, yeah the corn yeah. is gmo roundup ready yeah. and then they turn it into uh into bioethanol and then they and that's 10 percent of our um gasoline so that's a lot of bioethanol that's wow. going out into the uh and there's also biodiesel that's in the uh you know the big trucks and the buses and things like that so i suspect that the air in the city is in fact it's true that the air in the city though the the water. So my, I, I did an experiment with a friend of mine, Anthony Samsel. He and I have collaborated on a number of papers, but he's a, he, he does some pretty clever things. And he, one thing he did was he got people in different parts of the world to get samples of rain, uh, collect samples of rain and send them to him. And he would uh, test them for glyphosate. 
And, um, and I collected a sample in Cambridge near MIT, at MIT actually. And then I collected another sample in my home in Winchester and the MIT sample came out positive and the Winchester sample did not. And that's in the suburbs. So wow. I think it's because of the city, um, the city air um, that is coming up uh, in the rain. So the rain is picking it up from the air probably, you know. Right. So, so a typical person, worrisome. so a typical person is, you can't, there's no such thing as glyph, like, just like there's no such thing as COVID zero. There's no such thing as glyphosate zero. It's very, very difficult to have no exposure. If you live in this country, you'd have right. to move really to a different place. And, um, and in the water is supply as well. Some people have glyphosate in the water supply and you can test for that in your water. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's ways you can just send it off and get a test. And I recommend that people do that. And then if it tests positive, you can install a filter, a reverse osmosis filter to get it out. Right. Um, but anyway, it's very, very hard to avoid it completely. And certainly a big way to avoid a good chunk of it is to go certified organic. And so when we shop at the grocery store, my husband and I are compulsive. We always buy certified organic. And if we can't find it certified organic, we don't make it. We, we just kill that idea for dinner. Right. You know. <laughs> so we've had frustrations when we've had uh, something in mind and we just can't find one of the ingredients cert- certified organic. And we're very, very religious about it. Yeah, it's 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 important uh, and to be a hundred percent. Although, would you all would you agree that if it's something that's in the clean fifteen, like the the fruits and vegetables that you know are at least based on what the EWG talks about, how they're basically comparable organic and con- conventional? Would you even make I sure? I wouldn't. Even- the clean fifteen actually, they're ignoring glyphosate. Corn is one of the clean fifteen. Is that and true? it's a GMO Roundup ready food. Yeah, they ignore what? glyphosate. Glyphosate is clean. That's their attitude. It doesn't matter if it has glyphosate. So even the EWG Clean 15 doesn't factor in glyphosate. They're just looking at all the they other ignore it. pesticides. They ignore it. Glyphosate's fine. No problem. Right, it's well, really that, shocking. Well, I know I've learned something in this episode and I have a key takeaway. Um, so you go 100% organic. 100% and, organic. Yes. Spices, herbs. Yep. And as inconvenient as it is, and it's going to be it's going to be somewhat more expensive for sure. In your mind, your educated mind, the trade-off, it's 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 a it's a non-issue. I mean, there there's no question. It's completely it's- worth it. I think yeah. so. And I think, you know, just to think about your children's health, if you're a mom, I think you have to find that extra money to spend on. And of course, the other thing is um whole foods, like stay away from processed foods. Processed foods are toxic in other ways as well. They've got so many chemicals in them. When you look at the ingredient list of a soy protein bar, you know, it's so disgusting. It looks like chemicals instead of foods. They basically take the foods apart into their component, you know, sugar, starch, um, oil, and then they put those things back together. So you've lost all of those wonderful molecules and the phytochemicals and the um, flavonoids, all these wonderful uh, molecules that the plants make. Really, you need to eat a lot of green vegetables. And I especially emphasize cruciferous vegetables and also onions and garlic, all three of those food categories have lots of sulfur. And, and we, we'll get into sulfur because the sulfur is critical for autism. I think it's really a very important part of the autism story, sulfur. Uh, in, uh, inability to handle sulfur properly, inability to, to produce and transport sulfate, which is a sulfur plus oxygen compound. It's a, it's a negatively charged SO4, SO4 minus two for you chemistry buffs. Four oxygens, one sulfur, ne- negative two charge. Very, very important molecule in the body everywhere. And, um, and definitely sulfate uh, is connected to autism. And this is where actually I started there and I want to get into this a bit. Um, back in the 1990s, uh, Rosemary Waring, I don't know if you're aware of Rosemary Waring's work. Um, she worked with a lot of autistic kids and uh, 
And she figured out, she thought there's something wrong with their ability to handle sulfur. And she figured that out because she was looking at metabolites in their urine. And she looked at sulfur, particularly sulfur-containing compounds like sulfide and thiosulfate, um, sulfate itself. And she found that the autistic kids had extraordinarily high levels of sulfide and thiosulfate in their urine, extraordinarily high compared to the normal kids. And this to her suggested that they had some kind of problem with sulfate. They couldn't, sulfite can be turned into sulfate with an enzyme. Mm-hmm. But if that enzyme is broken, then the sulfite actually becomes toxic. And many people say, oh, I can't eat sulfur containing foods. You know, I'm allergic to sulfur. And then they go on a low sulfur diet, which is a huge mistake because now they've got a systemic sulfate deficiency problem. But the glyphosate is what's causing them to be sensitive to the sulfur containing foods because it's disrupting those critical enzymes that are involved in sulfate synthesis, sulfate uh, transports, sulfate transfer from one molecule to another. And I talk a lot about that in my book uh, because that's a critical piece of the puzzle. Glyphosate's messing up sulfate. And and, uh, so these autistic kids, um, and then that goes together with tryptophan and and, um, serotonin. There's a there's a, a close connection between those two because the um, and now so I need to get into back off to the way in which glyphosate kills the plants. It's well known. They've yeah. identified a specific enzyme, which is called EPSP synthase, and it's an enzyme in a critical pathway in the plants called the shikimate pathway. And you may have heard of this already. This is a sort of a very common story well, around glyphosate. Well, that that's that's the argument, the the hollow argument that's offered is because humans don't have the shikimate exactly. pathway that we're good. Glyphosate we're good. can't do anything to us, mm-hmm. and uh, and while that is true that we don't have that pathway in human DNA, our, our microbiome does, which is much more important than our actual DNA. Exactly, <laughs> they choose so many things for us that we don't realize. You know, I've really come to appreciate those bugs. I almost think that our purpose in life is to be a home for them. You know, really it seems to be game. the case. <laughs> yeah, they're so important and they do so many things and they're so complicated. They're so, I mean, it's really hard to read papers. I did a chapter on the gut and it took me a long time. I was reading these papers, your eyes glaze over. I mean, there's just so many different microbes and so you have all these pretty charts, you know, with all these colors and, and then trying to compare someone who has, you know, rheumatoid arthritis versus somebody who doesn't and what's the difference and all these different pictures and it's just like you just your eyes glaze over i mean you can't you can't figure out the story there because it's just much too complicated everybody has a unique gut microbiome but there are some big hints and they have to do with glyphosate and of course there are other chemicals as well that disrupt antibiotics in general and so one of the things i had been playing with as an idea for when i was studying autism it took me five years before of studying autism before i encountered glyphosate and so i didn't consider glyphosate at all because roundup safe you know Yep. Until I happened to hear this two-hour lecture by Professor Don Huber at a conference I happened to be at. I, he was he the t- title was glyphosate, and I'm like, I don't know what this stuff is, but I better find out. And so <laughs> I was blown away. I mean, it was so perfect because I had been studying autism. I knew about these problems with sulfate, I knew about these gut problems that they often have. I was thinking it's something disturbing the gut, you know. And then um he came in and he talked about the microbes and he said the gut microbes, the soil microbes. He was he's a plant expert but all the nutritional deficiencies in the plants themselves because glyphosate disrupts the minerals, uh, the minerals don't get in. So the plants become mineral deficient. And so your food is mineral deficient. Now you're mineral deficient, you know, zinc and cobalt and iron and manganese, all these magnesium, very important uh, micronutrients um, that become so, uh, deficient. So I remember reading uh, maybe five years ago, there was some study that was promoted, I think in USA Today saying, 
you know, it's nonsense. The um, organic fruits and vegetables are not more nutritious than I the know. conventional. Oh. Like, and a lot of fanfare was made. Hey, we've done the study. Wasting your no money. Difference. Wasting your money to buy organic. I know. It just infuriates me. I've seen that too. I just get so angry. You know, the industry uh, doesn't, of course, doesn't want us to do organic. And certainly the people who sell the pesticides don't want us to. Sure. And they want to, they want the farmers to believe they can't live without these chemicals. They absolutely can't live without these chemicals. And many of the farmers believe that at this point. You know, we didn't have glyphosate 50 years ago and somehow they got by. It's not mm-hmm. like we have to have this stuff. And and yet um, the whole industry has been so good at kind of building that dependency in the farming process to the point where it's hard to start, go back to farming the way they used to do it. And uh, and so that's a huge problem. Yeah, it's hard and it's hostile too. And these these farmers get um, a lot of pressure to, to toe the line. And, and I know uh, Dr. Zach Bush, who you know well, um, that's part of his mission with Farmers Footprint is to help these farmers yes. take back control of their land and to go back to how it was before this nonsense started. Right. And what's happening with the glyphosate and the other chemicals that they're using is that the soil gets worse and worse every year. It becomes depleted in organic matter. So when you have a rainstorm, the topsoil washes away. I mean, you become your soil becomes pretty useless, pretty barren after a while. And that's what they found with glyphosate. And of course, the weeds also become resistant. So every year, the first year, it's terrific. The yield is so much better. They're very happy. And they get sucked into the whole system, you know. And then, of course, the price goes up, too. Actually, the price of glyphosate has gone up a lot, I heard, in recent years. So you have to pay more for those chemicals every year. They're not working as well because the weeds are getting smart, you know. So you have to use and more. You have to use more. Yeah. And then uh, and then your soil is such a mess that your crops don't grow well. I mean, it's really, it's a real downward spiral. After a few years, you've got this horrible soil that nothing can grow in, you know, and then these mm-hmm. weeds are taken over. So uh, it's... Um, it's really a failed system. And I think um, some of the farmers are waking up and deciding that we have to go do something different, but it's difficult to transition. If you've got a big farm that's dependent upon chemical-based agriculture, and now you decide you want to go organic, well, you can't just do that overnight because your soil is so toxic. You won't pass. You won't pass the test for organic. So you've got to wait several years, I think maybe three or four years before you can get approval that you're, you're, even if you're not using any chemicals for those years. Uh, you still got contaminated plants from what was used in the past. And, and a study in Brazil showed that in, in, in a crop where they were growing a GMO Roundup Ready crop, and they measured the glyphosate levels in the soil year by year. And they found every year there was more. So it's it's accumulating. The glyph- it, It's not breaking down. It's accumulating in the soil. Right. And, uh, that's really scary. So now we've got so much everywhere that it's just like a... Uh, a discouraging situation. But, you know, I think there's hope. And I feel uh, as the consumer demands more and more organic, right now we have to import a lot of our organic because our farmers can't keep up with the demand. But there's got to be farmers out there who decide, you know, this is just doesn't make sense in any, any sense anymore that I'm using these chemicals. I need to do this. I need to t- change my practice into an organic farm. And I can get more money for my crop if I do that. Yeah, and if I can all- find a way to deal with the weeds without using the chemicals. And then there's also research going on, like the Monarch tractor. I don't know if you've heard of the Monarch tractor. It's a pretty cool little tractor that is run on solar energy. And uh, it has it has some smarts, you know, it can see things because it's using computer science mm-hmm. and um, can recognize the weeds. And then it can kill them using, say, hot water or laser beams, something like that. It has ways to kill the weeds that specifically targeting the weeds without hurting the crop. 
So that's pretty cool. I think that I'm hoping that some technology will come out as a technological solution that will, because it, you know, labor, human labor is very expensive. And that's a big problem with, uh, right. if you're going to have the humans pull the weeds, which would be the, maybe the best thing to do. And of course, people can grow their own crops. I think a, a family with a little garden in the back, they're probably willing to take the time to just pull the weeds by hand. It's yep. good exercise and you're outdoors. I think the sunlight is very, very healthy. So there's reason to just do that as a, as you know, have your own farm where you can little tiny plot where you're growing your vegetables uh, and you can make sure they're certified organic because, or at least not certified, but organic because you're not using chemicals on them. So, yeah, no, that, that there's incredible benefits. You just mentioned a bunch of them from that one activity, getting outside, getting in the dirt, exposing yourself to the sun. Uh, my wife just did that at our, at our, she dove in, created her own uh, couple beds, got the family involved, but she did 99% of the work. Um, and, uh, and it's amazing how quickly we had lettuces and vegetables and, and the like. And yeah, when you can control everything, uh, then, uh, you, you, you don't have to second guess what's, what's truly in here, because if you're buying, even if you're buying organic, you know, again, there's so much that is that could be cutting against you if that organic farm was near a conventional farm and the winds are blowing a certain I know. way it's right you, you don't you don't know what's on there and yeah um, and there's a possibility of cheating too if people if the regulatory sure. agents aren't sufficiently on top of things you could cheat yeah but but just so to put to, to, to emphasize this though one because i think it's such an important point it's not as if eating organic and avoiding glyphosate, it's kind of like, hey, do it if you can, it's better. I mean, it's this is a major problem. And I remember I, I saw a cartoon once where it showed a supermarket and it showed like the vegetables conventional and, and the organic next to each other. But through the person looking at it, when they saw the conventional, all they saw was skull and crossbones on all of the the fruits and vegetables. And I think that's how I look at that. That's how I am. That's how I am. Yes, it's, it's really uh, true. Um, to be aware that you just can't eat this because it's toxic and then you right. don't longer no longer want it you know right. <laughs> so it's been a disappointment for me with hummus because I used to really love to have hummus at the restaurant and uh, yeah. uh, luckily I can get organic hummus at, at Whole Foods so, mm-hmm. so you can still have it at home but it, I don't trust it if I have it at a re- I won't order it at a restaurant because they sky high levels of life as they were found in yep. hummus which is which, which is gonna it's gonna have a negative impact on all people, but especially if we're thinking about as parents for young, young children, it's so much more important for them, especially with growing, developing bodies, especially if they're already hampered and and have um, susceptibilities and perhaps a compromised immune system, avoiding glyphosate for them is, is so much more important than a, than a, a grown adult. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Children are very sensitive. And of course, also in pregnancy, the mother needs to eat extremely well while she's pregnant because the fetus is going to be very susceptible to damage from glyphosate exposure from the food the mother eats while she's pregnant. Right. That's super important. So I want to get back to the tryptophan story with the serotonin because uh, <laughs> this is quite interesting. And it's um, the tryptophan is produced from that shikimate pathway. It's one of the aromatic amino acids. And it's also the precursor to serotonin, which is produced at the highest levels in the body, in the gut. Like 80% of the serotonin is made in the gut. And serotonin actually promotes peristalsis. So it helps the gut to push the foods through the the digestive system. And so when you don't have enough tryptophan, you don't have enough serotonin, um, you become constipated. And then when you become constipated, you know, you get the bacteria, your food is backing up, bacteria get into the 
uh, upper intestine, you know, the, the, the um, small intestine. Yeah. That's the part that is actually where all the absorption takes place. Mm-hmm. And normally most of the microbes are in the colon, you know, and so the microbes work their way up and you get SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. A lot of people suffer from that and that's got issues and you get leaky gut, you know, and then at the same time, you're, so the tryptophan makes the serotonin and the serotonin helps the peristalsis. You get the constipation and then you get the bloating and you get, um, and then you can get the water coming in and get diarrhea. So you've got kind of back and forth constipation, and diarrhea. You're just, your gut's not working well at all. And then um, on top of that, the um, serotonin is actually gets sulfated in the gut. It gets sulfate attached to it. And then the serotonin sulfate gets shipped to the brain. And so serotonin is a hormone. It's a, it's a neurotransmitter in the brain. Very, very important for brain health. And low serotonin in the brain is linked to depression, violent behavior, obesity. So all these things that we're seeing today, I think, are connected to serotonin deficiency in the brain. And that's both because it comes from the shikimate pathway, but also because the sulfation process is disrupted by glyphosate. So the serotonin is unable to get the sulfate stuck onto it. And without the sulfate, it can't do its transport thing because there's so many, many biologically important molecules. And it's all these neurotransmitters and thyroid hormone and cholesterol and vitamin D. Um, they're, they're all sulfated in transit. And I talk about that in my book. Mm-hmm. You stick a sulfate on it, it makes it water soluble makes it able to be shipped in the blood. And um, and so when cholesterol can't be sulfated, you have to stick the cholesterol inside a lipid particle and you get high serum LDL, which is going to cause you to get prescribed a statin drug. You're going to have to take yep. a statin drug to lower your LDL. The reason why your LDL is high, LDL is high that's these uh, you know, lipid particles that are carrying the cholesterol. It's high because the cholesterol sulfate is not being made. Not enough of it is being made. And the thing I want to say too is cholesterol sulfate is synthesized in the skin in response to sunlight. And then it's delivered to these HDL particles and they carry the cholesterol sulfate around and they deliver both cholesterol and sulfate to the tissues. And that whole process gets broken down by glyphosate. So I think we have a severe problem with sulfate um, being delivered to all the tissues and cholesterol, for example, and tryptophan, serotonin, all these things are in trouble because of this uh, impaired sulfation pathways that glyphosate causes. Right. So glyphosate causes wreaking havoc in untold ways. Right? Yeah, it's, it's unfathomable. When you start to think about all the consequences of all these different aspects, the other thing is, of course, the microbes are getting killed. So the lactobacillus in particular is very sensitive. There've been studies that have shown which microbes are more sensitive, which ones are less sensitive. And bifidobacteria and lactobacillus came way up on top, most sensitive to glyphosate. And um, lac- those two are very, very important in the infant gut. Uh, particularly, you know, lactobacillus is what really helps you digest milk. And um, so people have casein intolerance, gluten intolerance, you know, epidemic right now in both of those problems. Can't, can't take dairy, can't eat wheat. Um, those particular proteins, casein and gluten, are very rich in proline. It's one of the amino acids that's contained in those proteins. And proline is a difficult amino acid. It's hard to break it apart, basically to digest a protein. The protein is a long chain of these amino acids stuck together according to the DNA code. Mm-hmm. And then in the gut, when you eat a protein, you, eat a, you know, like casein, you eat a protein, um, it has to get chopped up into the individual amino acids. And then the individual, individual amino acids are absorbed in the small intestine. That's where all the absorption takes place. So they're brought into the body and then they're used by the cells to make new proteins. So it's a, you know, it's a sort of 
system where you take everything apart and build it back together again with a different sequence according to your own DNA code to make a new protein. And mm-hmm. that's, of course, you know, very important. Protein, you need proteins um, in your diet to be able to have those resources to make those proteins, to make your proteins. But when, um, when you have glyphosate there, and, and you get lactobacillus getting disturbed by glyphosate, lactobacillus can't ha- produces several enzymes that are involved in breaking apart proline. They specialize in helping the host to, to separate proline from the other amino acids. And so when they're depleted, uh, the, 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 the body has trouble digesting these proteins. Casein and gluten are really good examples. And they end up as these peptide sequences in the small intestine that are still stuck together because of the proline. They get stuck and they can't be separated. And they could be five or six amino acids long, but those things become a problem because they, they are a protein, an amino acid sequence that the immune system doesn't recognize as being human. It's a foreign uh, protein. Hmm. And, and the foreign peptides cause autoimmune disease. So the immune cells say, oh, this is foreign. It's not supposed to be here. They attack it and they produce antibodies. And then through something called molecular mimicry, those antibodies can start attacking your own tissues. So for example, they could attack your thyroid and you could get thyroid disease. So we have an epidemic in hypothyroidism and hypothyroidism in the mother is uh, causes a fourfold increase in the risk of uh, autism in the child. So that's another pathway by which uh, glyphosate is disrupting by virtue of interfering with the lactobacillus ability to help the host break down those proteins. You get these sensitivities to them and then uh, you get, you eliminate them from your diet in order to stay well, you know, but now you're losing a uh, certain nutritional value because you're not getting enough proline probably in your diet when you do that, you know, right. so that's another issue. It, it truly makes your head spin all, especially as you start getting more into actually what does happen and what are all these impacts, these downstream effects. Uh, because even if we take a step back with glyphosate, it's okay. What what is it exactly? Again, it is an antibiotic, right? It's not not necessarily a pesticide. It's it's more of an antibiotic. So it really is killing everything. To your point, mm-hmm. where these these beneficial microbes that are designed to do certain things, glyphosate by its nature just may be eliminating them. But then the another way I think glyphosate, uh, based on your presentations that I learned, I'd love for you to expand on it, is in terms of how it does so much damage that basically the body is. It's it's basically replacing glycine, right? In terms of how our bodies are meant to operate, that glyphosate is so similar to glycine that there's this mistaken identity, if you will. So, could you expand on that concept? That's a very important concept, and that's really the center story, centerpiece of my book right. is about that. And um, and I have a whole chapter where I provide all the evidence, uh, even from Monsanto's own research that shows that this is what's happening. I feel very confident that I'm right. I have to say that I'm getting a lot of pushback. You know, the chemical industry is saying, no, 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 it's not possible. But <laughs> I, I think they know it's it's happening. And I think they know that if the public finds out, it's game over for glyphosate because it is so serious. And glyphosate is the only chemical I have found uh, that does this. So it's a very unique property of glyphosate that it, it, it is, in fact, a glycine molecule. It's a complete glycine molecule, except that it has extra material stuck onto its nitrogen atom. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference in terms of its properties, its chemical and physical properties, because it has it's bulkier than glycine and it has a negative charge. And so, um, and so when when the amino acids are being assembled to make the protein, there's the, the DNA code, the famous DNA code, and it sees the code for glycine, and it says, "Oh, here's a glycine," puts it in, but it's not glycine. It's got some extra stuff on the nitrogen, but didn't didn't notice that because it fits into the socket where glycine fits. 
Mm-hmm. And so it ends up getting put in there and particularly getting put in there in particular proteins that have um, that bind phosphate. And that's what I talk about in my book as well. Proteins that bind phosphate at a site where glycine is highly conserved. So when you see amino acid is highly conserved, what it means that is that it can't, you, you can't substitute something else for that amino acid without destroying that protein's capability of doing its job. It's a very critical amino acid in that protein sequence. You know, proteins have all these amino acids and over here, you know, something could change to something else, no big deal. It still works. But when it's in that critical active site and, and um, when it plays a very important role in keeping the shape appropriate for fitting something that's a substrate, in particular phosphate. So phosphate, the protein has to shape itself to be able to bind to phosphate um, in order to do its job, which is often to take that phosphate off of that molecule and put it on some other molecule, transferring the phosphate from one place to another type of thing. So, um, and ATP, adenosine triphosphate, has three phosphates. So all these uh, proteins that bind ATP, and that's the energy source. So they're going to use yep. the ATP as a source of energy. And now they're messed up. They can't do it right, you know, because they got glyphosate there instead of glycine. So it has a very severe uh, effect on certain proteins. And, and that's been fun for me to try to find exactly which proteins would be likely to be susceptible. And then to say, oh, well, if that protein were messed up, would it cause this disease? Oh, yes, it would. And oh, glyphosate is associated with this disease because it's going up exactly in step with the rise in glyphosate usage. So you can put all these pieces of the puzzle together to make the story. And it works extremely well, I think, to explain why you might, why you might have autism because of glyphosate, for example. It's a bit complicated, but but again, that that's this is the question that needs to be asked, and it's very inconvenient to be the person who's asking that question and to be presenting evidence. So that's another reason why we're excited that you're you chose to be on our show because I think your work is not like the fact that you're putting it out there is also demonstrating courage to put out the truth, regardless of what the the blowback may be yeah, there's a lot uh, of so, blowback but i'm tough if you're being very subtle <laughs> yeah. you're you're getting you're getting attacked I know, for, I know. for 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 again putting out factual that, what you're seeing is factual you to know yeah things you know, they don't want you to know come back with an argument that says it's wrong but otherwise it's out there it's kind of a an inconvenient truth yes. and i think so much of what our parents in order to help their child the most it's going to guaranteed it's going to require courage and doing what you feel is right or truthful for you, even when there's naysayers, because there's always going to be naysayers. And I know yeah. that's what, you know, I, I love that your book is out. I, I love that you're, you're getting that message out. And um, and whenever you do that, yeah, you're going, going to have detractors. But I think I've heard you many times saying, okay, it's out there. Come on, let's Let's have this dialogue. Let's let's refute it if you can. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not like you're putting it out there saying, hey, this is the truth. You're saying, this is what I found. This is what my science is showing. Exactly. Yeah. I love the science and I, and I want the truth and I want to find the truth from the science, you know, not because someone tells me this is the case, but because I see right. it in the science and, and it's a, it's a lot of fun doing the research, but it's quite terrifying when you get to find out what is going on because it's a, it, it's really quite daunting when you think about the various proteins that could be affected by glyphosate. And then you see this, you know, the symptoms that are a result of that. And, um, and it's uh, quite striking. Um, and of course, my book gives details of some of these examples of certain proteins that are going to be susceptible to glyphosate, given theoretically. And then if they were susceptible to glyphosate, what would you expect? For example, fatty liver disease, 
There's right. a particular protein, uh, a couple of proteins actually that I can predict would cause um, fatty liver disease. And that's been very uh, strongly tied to glyphosate. And that's another one that's going up uh, dramatically. Kids are getting it now, fatty liver disease as a child, which is quite shocking. And um, it's disrupting the, the liver's ability to, um, to handle the fats. And yeah, there's so much that's, that's spiking and increasing at these crazy rates. And I think with the, a lot of the coaching we do with parents, uh, one thing we really try to help them see is to at least guess what's at the root cause of what's going on with your child. Not, not so much what's at the root cause of autism as much as what's at the root cause of the behaviors you're seeing or the digestive issues that you're seeing, right? Because autism is just a label. And when when we look at the root cause, though, I think it's hard for people to get their head around to have glyphosate exposure, excess glyphosate, or uh, whatever whatever words you want to use there. And uh, no amount of glyphosate is <laughs> exactly, <good>. exactly. <laughs> but that that could be a root cause. But I think you've you've um, illuminated in this conversation how it absolutely could be a potential root cause, a contributory root cause. It may not be the only. Right, thing right. there's that's other going things on. that are going on as well. Of course, the kids are exposed to many, many chemicals, and it's maybe not fair to single one out. But I do think because it's so so pervasive, and because it's so carelessly used, because it's considered to be safe, um, it puts it out front. I think compared to the other chemicals that they're exposed to. Right, because from a health standpoint, whether it's autism or other conditions. There's general consensus that a big problem is chronic inflammation within the body. And so when you look at glyphosate and say, okay, can that be something that is contributing to this inflammatory state? Uh, the evidence, the science you're putting out and others is saying a big emphatic yes. Absolutely. Yes. And in fact, it disrupts glutathione in a big way, Um, causes glutathione to be oxidized. You know, glutathione is a really important antioxidant in the liver and elsewhere. But um, a lot of people take, yeah, a lot of people take glutathione as a supplement or they can take N-acetylcysteine, which is one of the amino acids. Glutathione has three amino acids in it. One of them is glycine. And so this makes me suspect that glyphosate is substituting for glycine in glutathione and messing it up. Um, And it's certainly evidence has shown experimentally that it, it, it reduces the amount of glutathione in the liver and increases its oxidation number of glutathione molecules that are oxidized, which is it needs to be reduced in order to be effective as an antioxidant. So if it's oxidized, it means that there's been too much oxidation going on and the glutathione couldn't be brought back to that healthy reduced state that that's, and I think there's impairment in that, that process of bringing it back to its reduced state so that it can be an antioxidant. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's so important. And just overall, like I I know a lot of our parents hear about their child has mitochondrial issues, right? And so this, this is a reason why that may be the case, or at least if the child had mitochondrial issues before, this could be making it even harder. Exactly. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, there are genetic susceptibilities, um, particular genes that are defective already defective in the autistic child, but would have been okay if not for the chemical exposure that made it even worse. You know, so when you have a, when your gene is already on edge, then glyphosate can bring it over the, to the point of uh, toxicity faster because you don't have a perfect version of that gene. So I think that's how the genetics can play a role. They've spent most of their research on the genetics of autism and they have been finding many, many genes, you know, that play a role, but each one's only like 1% of the cases. So it's getting to be a very tedious task to line up all these 
mutations that might be connected to autism. It's not a tidy story at all. No, 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 not at all. But I, again, I think your book really lays this out very clearly. So again, I encourage parents, if you want a deep dive to really better understand this, because uh, the evidence is mounting that this isn't just, hey, one of many you know things to worry about in our toxic environment. This is a, a much bigger uh, issue and much may very well be more at the root of what you're seeing in your in your child, in your family, in yourself even. And you know the the solution here is there's no, there's no perfection or, and again, there's no going into a bubble, but you can significantly minimize your exposure and take control. And I know eating organic is the simplest. That's uh, really one. a gift that they do allow. That this country supports certified organic as a label. I think that is huge. You know, we're not, we don't label GMOs, but we label certified organic. And thank God for that, because I would be really lost if I had to go to the grocery store and just not have any choice other than to just eat the toxic food. I would be so depressed, you know, so it's very enabling to feel I can get this food. And I definitely think it's worth the extra cost um, in the return that you'll get with the health of your family. It's definitely worth it. Spend more money on food so you won't have to spend so much money on drugs, you know? That's right. Yeah. No, and, and if you can grow your own, all the all the better. All the better. That's that, a way. That's a way to be economical about it, probably, right? Yeah, grow your that, own. That label means something. The organic label means something. Of course, you may have companies who somehow, you know, try to pull a fast one, but otherwise you, you can rely on that. Um, and I know I was making the same problem that you highlighted earlier, where I was thinking in my own head, I've been to a few conferences, figured I knew what I was talking about. Get organic, good. I want it organic. Oh, non-GMO, mm-hmm. equally good. As long yeah, as it's not, not G- like I, I had in my head, non-GMO has to be good. So you see that plastered on labels everywhere now, non-GMO, non-GMO. But unless it says organic, it doesn't mean that it's toxic. It means it's entirely possible that it could be toxic. Well, and, and so especially the highest uh, levels are being found in non-GMO products because that's, that's the ones that get sprayed right before harvest. And that's the line that you said during a conference that blew my mind. I had to literally, literally sit with it for a few minutes Yes, because it seems counterintuitive. But yeah, so so some of the highest levels of glyphosate are in foods that proudly say non-GMO. That's Which is right. again, if you just want one takeaway, and to, if there's only a matter of putting one thing into action, go organic. And I would say as much as you can, but now after this conversation, go 100% organic. Yes, really, um, really work on it. It, become, it can become a game, you know. For us, I think it's kind of a game now. And we get a little too compulsive about it, but it's kind of fun to just, no, we're not going to eat that. It's not organic. Right. So, right. although I have to admit, we cheat when we eat out. So, because it's so hard to find an organic restaurant, right? So we have to sort of carefully look over the menu to see what might be the safest thing to order. And that's where the balance is. Do this full, like go, go, if you're going to go organic, go organic, give it your all, do everything you can, but then let go of perfection that yeah. sometimes things it's may really get. It's really annoying if you're so, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. you know, somebody invites you to, to dinner at your house and you say, I can't go because you're not going to serve organic food. Right. It feels pretty rude, you know? So we're, we're kind of, we work our best at home. And then when we can't, we just let it go. Yeah. That's sort of the why. way we approach it. And I think that's wise advice for everyone. So, uh, so yeah, we could go mm-hmm. on and on. There's so many aspects that could, would really benefit to going deeper, but I know so much of this is in your book and in your lectures that are online. Yes, uh, there's a think, lot of lectures uh, and podcast interviews as well. So, Well, I appreciate that you do these types of interviews. And again, I've learned a lot today and I know this is going to be extremely useful for our parents. So thank you again for taking the time. Thank and you, you. mentioned 
you mentioned Zen Honeycutt. She's going to be on, I think, the following week to talk about the school lunch uh, way that this problem is showing up. Because That's I, I, such a great study that she did, and we're doing our best to get that information out. In fact, we've created a new uh, moms. Uh, it's called um, the new MDs, the new MDs, moms, doctors, and scientists. And it's a, it's a conversation between Zen Honeycutt and myself and Michelle Perro, who's a pediatrician. Yep. And all of us have the same message is basically eat healthy food. <laughs> you know, it's really the number one thing I think for good health is eat healthy food and spend the extra money that you need to, to do that. Stay away from processed foods and eat certified organic. And I think that'll take you a long ways towards good health. I, I love that you said that my wife says that all the time. And it took me years before I truly now can embrace that, that it really is the biggest move you can make. It's, it's, and it's, it's so simple, you know, It's because any kind of drug you take, you're, you're risking side effects and, and, and that can be very devastating. It's simple, but inconvenient. But in this case, that inconvenience is such a small price to pay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, thank you again and look forward to having you on down the road. But again, thank you for your work. Thank you so much for having me. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.